Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I will be your host. Today's guest is Joe Youngblood. I met Joe a few years back at a PubCon marketing conference, and I was super impressed by his Facebook superpowers. My favorite part about this interview is Joe shares all kinds of tips and tricks when it comes to getting more reach and exposure using Facebook organic and more. I hope you enjoy this interview just as much as I do when Joe shares all of his Facebook social PR secrets. Enjoy. Here with Joe Youngblood. Hey, Joe, how are you? Hi. Oh, how are you? Good, good. So we um we kind of ran out of time to do like a little prep talk because I couldn't get my sound working, but that's okay. That's life in um, live video and podcasting world, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, things don't need to be perfect to be done. Um, but Joe, where are you? You're you're in Austin, right? Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Yeah. So thanks for being a guest on this. So, and there's so many things that you can talk about that I picked the two that I thought would be relevant to the PR audience, but we can talk about other things that you had wanted to talk about. Um, I thought link building and local SEO are two really interesting topics that I know you're expert at. And when it comes to tying that in with public relations, I thought that was a pretty good fit because with PR and we're doing media outreach, it's a way for um, our clients to also get authoritative links back to their site um, in the media. And now in this time of, um, you know, COVID-19 crisis, if you're a small local business, you need to be looking at some of these yeah. things that maybe were skipped because they didn't need to be looked at, but they were always there. It's kind of low hanging fruit, I would call it. Yeah. So, yeah. So before we get started on all that though, Joe, just give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into this business and where you are today with it. Sure, yeah. So like a lot of people in the industry, it's a pretty circuitous path. I like went all over the place. Uh, at the age of 14, I built my first website in Notepad. So we're talking like 1994. Uh, didn't have a high-powered computer or a great internet connection. I was in rural Kansas on an old 486 uh, desktop computer. So I mean, it took forever to even <laughs> see like my, my website come to life. Uh, by the age of uh, 18, I had, uh, I had lied for the whole time to be in Amazon's affiliate program. By the age of 18, I was actually making money from it, uh, which is which was really interesting. Uh, but then I decided, you know, this is dumb, this is stupid. I'm going to go out into the world and, and get a real education. And uh, so I went to community college for some reason, and I uh, decided to pursue musical theater. Uh, that did, that did not work out uh, very well, uh, as you can probably tell. And then I dropped out of college and became a nightclub DJ. I traveled around a lot doing uh, uh, nightclubs. I specialized in hip hop uh, mash music. So cool. a lot of up and coming rappers and, and hip hop artists wanted to meet with me. They wanted me to play their music in the club and wherever I was at. Uh, I went back to college in 2003 and I decided to focus on marketing because I'd been really fascinated by a lot of the stuff I saw in the early days of messing around on the internet. And I really wanted to kind of get to know more of the psychology behind it. And actually, uh, my mom had just gotten a psychology degree. And one of her mentors is a guy, great psychologist named Dr. Ken Weaver. And Dr. Weaver convinced me that uh, maybe I wasn't really uh, fit for psychology itself, but maybe more the consumer applications. And he'd known me pretty much my whole life um, through, through Boy Scouts and stuff like that. So I took his advice and I dove into to regular marketing. And I really did enjoy it. I did not like the sales aspect of it, the door-to-door -door knocking on doors saying, hey, could you give us money? But I really loved the, the psychology aspect of it. So I started exploring that more through market research while I was getting back into building websites. In 2004, I created an online radio station. And, uh, and I was part of an online radio community when the uh, iPod came out. I predicted that if this thing got Wi-Fi, we would be totally screwed. They wouldn't need online radio stations. They wouldn't need to donate money to us anymore because they could just tune into a normal station through their, their iPod, uh, through Wi-Fi in the, in the car. And so whoever got to that mobile point first was going to win. And a lot of the radio station owners back then, you know, said, oh, stupid, it's crazy. We've been streaming for years. You just got to have high quality and you'll be fine. Uh, but that wasn't the case, right? The iPod does come out. It does lay waste to the entire radio streaming industry. And uh, around that time, I built a website called GamersTube, 
and I predicted that in the future, gamers were going to play video games and they were going to watch each other play and they were going to play with each other, you know, through like esports and stuff like that. And they were going to donate money to each other through one singular platform. And I wanted to be that platform. So we started building it. We got really far into building it. In 2008, I uh, pitched it to Google and a bunch of other investors in South by Southwest. Um, uh, an employee for Google at the time told me it was one of the most ridiculous concepts he'd ever heard of and that people would never watch each other play video games and that they had YouTube and they were not interested in any sort of video game streaming or anything like that. It was just, wow. You know, yeah. <laughs> so uh, at that same, uh, there's a funny story about me and, and uh, uh, the founder of Zappos in, in a bathroom in Austin that I'll, I'll maybe tell another time. Uh, maybe, maybe I missed my chance there. So uh, that was 2008. Uh, we ended up, you know, having to shut down because of the recession. We couldn't get an investor. I was literally working two, three jobs to pay for all of the stuff. Gamers were hacking the website to try to steal the content. It was really bad. But through all of that, I had, you know, the radio station and GamersTube, and I had a bunch of forums, and I, did, I ran a classified ads network. Through all that, I had to do SEO and PR and local outreach and build websites for other people uh, to get cash flow going. And so through all that, I learned a ton of different stuff uh, across different disciplines. I graduated with my actual degree in marketing uh, seven years after I set out to get it in 2010, <laughs> uh, after I moved two states away and uh, through three different colleges. I was at the University of Texas at Arlington. And when I got to UT Arlington, uh, there was a, a professor there, you know, uh, may, he, may he rest in peace, um, who told me that... Um, the online marketing was just a fad and that I should focus on real estate and manufacturing and stuff like that. Stuff that was really solid and like proven. But if I wanted, there was a stupid internship for SEO and, and he digs to the bottom of his pile and he pulls it out and he hands it to me. And so I send him my resume and the owner of this company, this real estate company, is blown away. He's like, I can't believe you've done all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, like I ranked number one for a long time on the phrase rock radio station and uh, game trailer I actually beat the website gametrailers.com for several weeks back in 2007 for the phrase game trailer. <laughs> I used to rank number one for game videos back before it was very popular and game streaming. So I, I've ranked for tons of queries, laptop queries, and all other kinds of stuff. And this was a real estate guy here in Dallas, and he's like, Yeah, I really, really need this uh, for my business. So I come in as an intern, he starts paying me, and you know, uh, I start looking at things that are really kind of uh, should be obvious. To somebody who's on SEO, but to somebody who didn't do SEO, they weren't very obvious. And he was a really smart guy. Um, and so he let me kind of work with the tech team and, and work with um, all of his developers in rebuilding the website. And right then is when Panda came out. And Panda comes out and just smacks this website like really hard. And it wasn't, we weren't doing anything terrible, but it was just the way the code was written and the code was producing all of this content that we didn't know it was producing. So we had to go through and clean that up. So I got to live through saving a company from bankruptcy that was was hit by panda and then after that an agency made me an offer and i went to work for the agency and i learned a lot of the ins and outs of the seo agency world how terrible it was how good it could be how awful many of the clients were what their expectations were and how to try to live in between and i decided you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do this on my own so in 2013 i set out on my own and decided i wanted to kind of rebuild the agency experience. I'm, try I'm still trying today. It's not something I've accomplished, uh, in my opinion. Still working really hard to do that, but that's kind of my background in a little bit of a nutshell there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very diverse, but then it also all fits together. So I think it, that's what makes you so valuable. I'm trying to think when we met. We met, I think, at PubCon like four or five years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. probably five, six years ago, maybe, unfortunately. Yeah. And and so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to be at PubCon Miami this year, oh, but yeah. or we missed, yeah. So maybe at the end of the year, maybe we'll see each other at, at PubCon Vegas, but Bruce, yeah, Bruce, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, it's a great conference and I've been speaking at it for probably 10 plus years and I learn a lot, even though I'm a speaker, I go to every session, including yours and very impressed at your sessions on Facebook. Yeah. So we've um, we've talked and I've interviewed you for some articles. So I just thought Social PR Secrets, the, the um, podcast would be perfect for you to share some of your wisdom when it comes to how Facebook can influence 
PR, how you can leverage. I mean, can you still leverage Facebook today organic? Is that still possible? It, it is right now. It's really, really hard. So um, for your viewers out there who don't know, I do a YouTube channel called the weekend. Well, it's just called Jerry Youngblood, but I do a show on the channel called the weekend digital marketing so far. And we started getting lots of complaints in through our contact form about uh, people not getting Facebook reach. And they thought Facebook was just screwing them over. Like it's the middle of a crisis, Facebook's throwing them over. But the reality is that in countries where COVID-19 is hitting really hard, Facebook has seen massive spikes in traffic, historic usage. They've never seen this many people and this much data being uh, posted to Facebook. <laughs> and so we're actually seeing degraded newsfeed reach because of that. So ironically, at a time when it's probably uh, more necessary than ever before to reach your audience, it's actually harder than ever before because everybody's trying. Uh, we have a client that is dining only entertainment restaurant. They've never really done a lot of the community stuff. They've never really like been super visible in their community, and they are just getting walloped by this this uh, COVID nineteen. And their newsfeed reach is completely destroyed. They're you know we're working real hard to get it back, but organically just is not working right now. We had to have yeah. a approach as well. I actually didn't really look at it like that. That it could have could be the, the competition for COVID with the um with the organic reach, but that's a really good point. We started uh, recording these podcast episodes via Facebook Live. Um, and I just thought that that would be a nice touch for our followers. But um, I mean, we are definitely getting more reach than a typical, you know, you know, let's just say a typical video or a typical non-video. For sure, we're getting more reach and more exposure, but not what I thought we would get. So I feel like um, that makes sense. And just to put a little bit of paid behind these these interviews will probably boost it to the, you know, even more and help it even more. It doesn't take a lot. So what kind yeah. of tips? Yeah, you know, what what kind of tips would you give a small business or any size business when it comes to you know managing your Facebook page today? What are some musts and what are some don'ts? Sure. So especially in this middle of this crisis, um, but yeah. you know it's more relevant now than ever. People don't want to be depressed. We there is so much depressing news out there, so much depressing information that people kind of want to reprieve from it. And I've been saying this for several years now give them that oasis, give them that reprieve, and you will win a lot of their engagement, a lot of their attention. In fact, um, the guy that played uh, um, Jim on The Office just started a, a show called Some Good News, SGN, where he just reads good news to people uh, in a YouTube video. Yeah. So we're seeing that this is something that consumers are demanding, but I see so many Facebook pages from, from companies that are legitimately hurt that are just them talking about how painful this is for them. And it is painful, I get it, but you're still not gonna win that reach. You know, I might have pity on you, I might have empathy, I might have sympathy, but just because you tell me every single day how much this sucks doesn't mean I'm gonna pay attention. So I think number one is you gotta find a way to talk to your audience in the middle of all of this that doesn't, you know, bring the crushing weight of the reality back down on top of their shoulders. Uh, give them some sort of reprieve. Talk to them in a way that still conveys your message, but isn't as you know <laughs> depressing as turning on the news would be right now. And I think my number two would be you've got to find a way to to mix in your COVID nineteen messaging, like hey, we're keeping everything clean. Especially if you're a restaurant who's never done carry out or take out or to go or whatever you want to call it before curbside, and suddenly you're doing it. You've got to tell people. By the way, our kitchen is clean, our restaurant is clean, our people wear gloves, our, we're wiping down the packages. You gotta find a way to mix that in. Plus you have to still then mix in your, your normal restaurant messaging. You know, This week we're having this special, this week we're having this special. So the way that we do that for restaurants and for other clients right now, is we try to entertain as much as possible in the Facebook page. And that's it, the Facebook page is just as entertaining as possible. Even if we're selling something, the graphic, that we use, we try to use something entertaining, even even a meme. By the way, in 2012, I coined the term memevertising. And if, you think, <laughs> if anybody's using a meme to advertise, please use that term. It's been around since 2012. It's on Urban Dictionary. Uh, you can look it up. But anyway, so we'll we'll use memes to try to do the advertising. We'll just use photographs. We'll we'll get stuff from our audience, and we'll get the permission to use that. But we want to entertain them. We want to entertain them as much as possible. Then we use a custom audience in Facebook Ads Manager set to people who've engaged with the page. And then all of the ads that we run to them are 
still kind of entertaining, but they're more sales-based. That's more of the sales message. Like, hey, this weekend we're having this special. This weekend we're doing this. Hey, COVID-19 really sucks and it hurt really bad and we can't do dine-in anymore. So we're trying to do this. Please come get your, you know, um, what is it? Uh, 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 you know, your, your survival kit, your emergency pack. Come get your four pack of margaritas, whatever it might be. Uh, here in Texas, I don't know where where you are, they allow it. But here in Texas, you can get to go margaritas right now. Uh, everyone's trying everything to just to get by. <laughs> so we're doing everything we can to try to get these sales going. It's still really, really hard. So don't get me wrong. This is, it's not easy, but uh, it, it at least works and it allows you to get that organic reach. And it also allows you to kind of promote your, your advertising. And then hopefully, if you're entertaining enough, and your ads are good enough, you actually get kind of double down in both. So your organic reach ends up building more organic reach, even in the middle of a crisis. And your paid reach ends up driving the sales for you. And then when you come out of this, you should be you know, doing a little better. Okay. Yeah. I love, I love the blend of using organic and leveraging paid from a PR perspective. So can you talk to us about link building? And like for those that sure. don't really understand that PR actually influences link building, um, can you explain how that process works? Sure. Yeah. So uh, obviously it's probably very different these days. Google has been pretty mum about links and how they work. And some of the stuff they say is kind of conflicting from time to time. Uh, but but links are really the underlying differentiator in Google's search algorithm. And if you don't remember or you weren't around at the time, the internet search before Google was really terrible. And it was terrible because it used something called a meta keyword tag and all you had to do was just shove a bunch of keywords in there and the search engine would say oh this page is about you know dogs and cats and and you know clothes for dogs and cats google went and said okay that that keyword is clearly all spam right so let's look at the content on the page and then let's look at who votes for who and they look at it as sort of a popularity contest but with points and so other web documents link to your page about dog and cat clothes or just dog clothes or just cat clothes Google uh, computes that through their algorithm, they, this, this link graph algorithm, and they determine which page has more authority, which page is more important on this topic. The problem is that Google thinks that uh, documents just sort of gain links naturally just by existing. This uh, mentality of build it and you will gain links. And the reality is that that, that just doesn't happen. You can build a website and put it out there and it can be better than anything else and nobody will link to it. Um, for example, Twitch, which uh, I hate to bring this up, but I'm still a little sore over it. Uh, Twitch came out in 2011. It was Justin.tv before that, which was a pioneer in live streaming. And then in 2011, they rebranded to Twitch.tv. And everyone started saying Twitch was the first gamer-only video platform, the first game streaming platform. <laughs> That's not true. That was a total lie. But because they had really good PR and because they had you know, really good SEO link builders, they were getting links that said Twitch is where you go for live streaming gaming. Gamers Tube still existed, by the way, in 2011. We didn't shut down until 2013 when I continually failed to get anyone in Texas to care about investing in this. So I, I finally took it offline, but they did a really good job. And if you did a search on Google in 2010, I would have been number one for all of those queries. But as Twitch went out and did the PR for it and they, they, they did uh, a bunch of, uh, of campaigning, about how they were, they are the original game streaming platform, and that's where you go to post video game content. When they started doing that, uh, everyone just sort of believed the messaging, including Google. They looked at the content, they looked at the links, and they said, "Oh yeah, Twitch, which has to be the original. They have to be the destination for everyone to go to." But we've been around since 2006, and I had done a lot of link building, but no, nothing at the level that uh, Twitch was doing through their PR campaigns. So links are really, really important. Pardon me. They're, they're even more important for small businesses because a small business can get to the top of Google uh, with very little effort as long as they do some good local link building and then they get those good local links. But if you don't get those good local links and, and you're outside of the three pack in Google Maps, like I am currently with my business, it really sucks. Uh, or you're outside of the top three listings in, in organic, you're basically invisible to a consumer. You're just simply not. Oh. How do you how do you go out if you're a small business? What would be like examples of three links to get locally that would be helpful? Okay, uh, you're asking me for my secret sauce now. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I mean, 
It's okay. Uh, I don't just for, for example, it. my family owns a restaurant in Chicago. Um, okay. So, like, what would they do if they were just starting out? They're established, but if they're just starting out, you know, any yeah. type of small business, what what's a good link? So I think number one, if you're just starting out um, and you're trying to get a good link for any local business, every major uh, urban center has one. You can look up a nonprofit radio station or a nonprofit newspaper, which now there's about 133 in the United States. If you look up those, they tend to have really good link values. So Google tends to value these, these companies, these, these nonprofits really highly. And you can go to them and you can become an underwriter for as little as $500 a year or $1,000 a year. And that is a really good local link. Now, do I, do I know that Google knows that those are local links? Probably, maybe not. I mean, it's legitimately pretty easy, especially a radio station. Uh, for a tower radio station, they have to have like a construction permit. They have to have an FCC license that says we are in this location and we broadcast in this, you know, circumference of an area. So, I mean, it, and that's all public data. It would be kind of ridiculous for Google not to com uh, compute that and say, hey, if these guys link to somebody, it's probably relevant to this specific area of the earth. But even if they don't, they're still just good links and it's good to support your community. Uh, community radio is really interesting. I actually listen to it when I get to drive to my office. I actually listen to community radio while I'm driving. I listen to all kinds of uh, local blues and uh, bluegrass and R&B music and jazz. And it's just, it's a, it's a really cool experience compared to mainstream radio stations or mainstream uh, online streaming like Spotify. And so you can support your local community in that way. That's, that's my, my top one. The other one is that, or um, go back real quick to that. So the independent newspapers, journalists are actually getting really upset at their editors trying to get them to write clickbaity headlines. Or a lot of times a journalist will write an article and then the editor will write the clickbaity headline uh, just to try to get the clicks because we all know it's all about the clicks, right? But they want to cover really local impacting stuff that's probably boring to most people, but would eventually make a big difference locally. And so these journalists are, are leaving their jobs voluntarily. They're quitting and they're founding nonprofit newspapers and they're getting millionaires to back them and donate millions of dollars uh, to back these nonprofit newspapers to keep uh, local politicians and, and local services in check and to keep an eye on that. And so they're always looking for underwriters too. And to me, that is, you know, in, in today's world, that is a really big local service uh, that I think just saying, hey, I support local journalism. I support local journalists who aren't trying to clickbait, who aren't trying to be the, the, the fake news media or whatever you title you want to give them. They're, they're out there trying to report on the city council meetings and stuff like that. Stuff that, again, is probably really boring. It's not spicy. That's not going to get a lot of clicks on the internet. But I, I think supporting them shows your community that you really care. So that's that's my first one. My, my second, oh, um, my, my second probably big tip, uh, I hate to give these guys any credibility on this part like, um, there are lots of really good small local cultural blogs that talk about culture. And it, you know, in 2005, 2008, in that time frame, they were just bloggers. Today, they typically start out as Instagrammers and Instagram influencers, where, which is where I get a little, I don't want to deal with them. I don't really like influencers too much. But they, they start out as that. And then they say, well, I've got a following of 100,000 people. I'm going to build a website and sell advertising. Those ads are usually are not very good ads. You're not going to, you know, buy an ad on one of these local influencer blogs and, you know, build a business overnight. That's probably not going to happen. You're still probably better off buying Google ads and Facebook ads and maybe Twitter and Pinterest ads. Uh, but if you can get them to talk about you as an underwriter or a sponsor, or if you can get them to cover the opening of your restaurant, or do something uh, remarkable at your restaurant that's really interesting that nobody else in your community does or has ever done, and go to them and give them an exclusive, you'll tend to get a pretty good link out of that. So for link building, I tend to find local influencers who have a blog, not just an Instagram account, but who have a blog, who have a website, I tend to find them really valuable for that one. And the third one is a pretty much tried and true local link building tactic, and that is just giving to local charity. Find a charity that's locally based, that services your local community, not some big one like, like St. Jude's. I love St. Jude's, but find something uh, local to your community that's trying to make an impact and go to them and donate to them. And you will typically find yourself on their donors page. And that's a good link 
to help your business. Those are great tips. So from a PR perspective, when we do a, a press release and we send it out to the local media, and let's just say they decide to source one of our clients, whether they're local or it's an industry publication, um, we always ask for the link. We always ask for to be sourced through, you know, with a link. So how does that fall into play? Like, where does that fall into um, the examples you just gave as far as like, you know, is one better than the other? Should they go in, you know, a certain order? Are you, are you asking in the press release itself? Are you putting at the bottom, hey, if you cover this, Make sure you include a link to, to X. No, 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 no. You're no. doing it after the, they pick up the press release, right? Yeah, right, after so they write the after they write the story. Yeah, so a, a big problem that we have, and I don't do hardcore PR like you do. Uh, we do what we call digital PR, which is very light touch. Uh, we'll put up the press release and then track where it goes, and then and then do outreach after that. But I don't have a book of journalists that we reach out to or anything like that. Um, yeah, yeah, don't have that yet. <laughs> um, one of the things that we found is that okay, so journalists are, are way overworked and this is going to sound like I'm not a journalist I'm not I love journalists I, I communicate with a lot of them publicly and privately on Twitter and Facebook and other places uh, journalists are way way overworked right now their, their colleagues are getting laid off their editors are coming to them giving them you know double the story assignments so they get a press release and they're like oh that sounds really cool and they write the story we find that over 80% of the time they link to the the um, the, the, the PR release uh, website. So a, a favorite one of theirs appears to be PR Newswire. They just love to link to the PR Newswire landing page, but PR Newswire doesn't give you a good yeah, link. Yeah, no. They Terrible. want credibility for that. They want to show up in, in Google News for this, this story uh, title, and that sucks. And you're like, why, Ocision, why are you doing this? So you would think that Cision, or uh, which is a huge PR brand, obviously, or any of these other companies would have like a disclaimer on there saying, "Hey, if you're a journalist, please don't link to this page. Link to the, you know, make sure you're linking to the people who actually the original source. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the original source." And we have found it insanely difficult. Uh, it used to be just kind of hard, but in 2019, 2020, it has been insanely difficult to reach out to a journalist who wrote a story on a news website, source the, the you know, the PR, uh, the press release website link and try to get them to change that to the client link. And I think if journalists who want to link to the original source, they, they clearly want to do that, would just take a second and link to the original source, that would be really great. So we find that really, 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 really hard. Uh, and there's, I don't have a solution. So if you have one, that would be wonderful. Right now, we just tell the client, hey, what we do is we take all those pickups and then we continue our outreach to other journalists and we say, hey, all these people wrote about the story. You should have read about it too. But if you do, please link here because again, you can't say that in the press release. So when we do the email outreach, we do that. Um, sometimes we do an email follow-up and it's successful, but we're probably five, 10% success rate. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, so we found, I mean, we actually have had pretty good success in getting them to include the link when they actually write the story by, you know, kind of like when we're feeding them the information and we're coordinating an interview, we'll be like, hey, you know, here's all the links that you'll need for reference for this, you know, different areas of the website, whatever they're working on, if they need like the bio of the CEO or something like that. So we kind of like spoon feed them the links as they're writing the story so they can um, easily like source it if they, if that's what they're wanting to do. So that works like being proactive and some yeah. most of the time the link will will get the link with the story but if if we've worked with somebody and they don't put the link in and we go back and say hey do you mind putting the link in for reference um nine times out of ten they do or their editor yeah. will or somebody will but i mean it's not 100 percent for sure like you know right. we all you can do is ask and and if you kind of feed it to them properly they will do it so if you're out there watching this now or, or later, what you're what you're seeing is the difference between not having that personal contact and then having that personal contact with Lisa. So the the you know in 2010 when you put up a press release on the internet, most of the time the journalist would say, oh, the original source is clearly the business who wrote the press release and put it out there. Mm -hmm. Right in 2019 2020, they seem to be like, ah, I'm overworked. Here's the link. Ah, they just throw it in, they move on because they're yeah. until they have to cite a source. So they're citing PR web, you know, PR, PR Newswire, you know, e-releases, whatever it is. 
they're they're uh, citing that as the source, not uh, not the original source. So you can't just throw me over here. You can't just throw a press release up on the internet, cross your fingers, and hope for really really good links. You will sometimes win, but we've really strongly encouraged clients to invest in a, a mutual uh, sort of outreach program where they bring in a press uh, a PR agency that we work with. And then we come up with content ideas, we create the content, we interface with the PR agency, and we're like, here you go, here's everything we have, here's what we would like out of this. We need those links to help the website's SEO. But because we don't have that personal contact, we don't have, you know, nobody goes, looks up Joe Youngblood and is like, oh my God, this guy's a, a perfect PR consultant. Uh, he's got great credibility in the PR community. No. They say, this guy's an SEO, I bet he's trying to trick me. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not trying to trick you, journalist. I think we really just want you to link to the original source. So when we go through a PR um, you know, agency that we're partners with and we say, hey, here's everything we have, and they do the outreach through their list and through their, their agency with their credibility uh, backing it, they tend to have, like you said, a lot more success. But just writing the press release, it doesn't matter how good it is. You put it up on the internet. Uh, we got covered on like, we did one probably middle of last year. And we got like 25 TV stations around the country to pick it up. They did a video segment. They did it, you know, they did it on their nine o'clock or 10 o'clock news. They wrote a story about it. Every single one of them, 100% linked to the PR Newswire uh, page. And I was like, what, why are you doing this? He, who are you going to reach out to? We reached out to the station. And we're like, please don't do that. And we got zero replies. <laughs> don't care. Yeah. We already did this segment. We're done. We're not doing this anymore. So having yeah. that personal yeah. contact, um, you know, is, is really, really important. We're seeing, we're seeing some companies be very, very successful with that uh, in local, but it tends to be even more powerful for a regional or a national company that can get dozens and dozens and dozens of journalists over a wide area to do that. So if you have a, a PR agency and you can reach out to all those people, that's, that's a really powerful thing right now. Definitely. And <laughs> Whoa, I think we're going to hear that. Nope. Interference. Like I think there's any echo. Maybe your speakers on. My oh, my speakers are on. Should I mute it? Um, that's better. But then, can, but then I can't hear you. Oh, okay. Wait, can you hear me now? Yeah, I okay. Can hear you. So, okay. Um, so what I was saying is, it's like a, it's, it's a really bad user experience if you're not if linking to the original source. Like to link to Business Wire, it's like making whoever's reading the story have to jump through another hoop to yeah. find out whatever that, you know, the reason why they're clicking on the link is they want to find out more. So taking them to business wire or PR newswire does not make sense. Right. Right. So yeah, that's, that's that. So let's just talk about um, local SEO now. And um, you know, I don't know if Google my business is within your it definition is, yeah. of, yeah. So, I mean, I went to a couple of sessions at PubCon. I have a couple of clients where we manage their Google My Business um, from a local standpoint, you know, my own agency. I mean, Google My Business is basically like its own, you know, more powerful than your own website in some ways for a local business. Is that, do you think that that's true? I, oh, boy, boy, you put me in the spot there. I, I don't think that statement is true, but it is really powerful in terms of driving traffic. So we have some clients the you know we track we use UTM parameters to track from Google My Business, and their Google My Business listing that little globe icon drives more traffic than any other page any anything else we do for their website on its own. Now, as a whole, you know our our big SEO content marketing stuff that drives more traffic on its own. But not only does that link that one little link on Google My Business drive more traffic for a lot of these clients like gyms yoga studios, dentists, stuff like that. It, it also drives the highest conversion rate per link of, of anything else that we get. So uh, people going to the exact same page through Google Organic tend to convert at a lower rate than they do from Google My Business. And the reason that is, it is probably because of you know, the reviews and the photos from Google My Business. But I wouldn't say it's more powerful than your own website, your own experience. When you have your own experience, uh, you get to control it. Google My Business has done all kinds of stuff that's not great. You can always get attacked by um, what I like to call negative local SEO, where people come in and they hire you know people overseas to leave negative reviews for you. Obviously, that's probably illegal today, 
but it still happens. You still catch it all the time. We catch, um, I'm actually working on a, an article right now called the celebrities of Google, my business reviews, uh, where yeah. I've been finding celebrity faces like Sheryl Sandberg, uh, with random names reviewing like an, an oil change place in San Antonio. And you're like, what? why would Sheryl Sandberg be in San Antonio? She wouldn't be uh, getting an oil yeah. change. But they, they review places negatively and, and positively. You can have people go in and attack the, if you're not paying attention, it's good that your clients obviously have you doing it. You know, people can go in and, and tell Google, hey, this is the wrong address. The right address is this one. And they can get that address changed if you're not paying attention. And that could be really, really detrimental. So it can be very powerful. You, ha you just have to maintain it. And Google support is really, really bad. It is really terrible. So uh, I'll give you my own personal experience. We have an agency. We have over 2,000 square feet of space, a big meeting room, a studio where we record videos for clients. And for a year and a half, Google continued to claim we were a fake location. And yeah, <laughs> and I can send them all the proof that we're real. You know, I'm like paying thousands of dollars a month in rent, but I can't get, I can't even show up on Google Maps, let alone just tell people, hey, look me up on Google Maps and come, you know, come visit my office. Couldn't do that for a year, a uh, year and a half. And one of the reasons why is somebody went to a commercial real estate website called LoopNet, and they changed our uh, designation from a, a an office building to a co-working space. And Google said, "You're lying to us. You keep telling us this is a office building, but it's a co-working space." And I was like, "It is an office, but I walk in here every day. I'll give you a video tour of the whole friggin' building." But because a commercial real estate website cited it as a co-working space, they, they kept removing it. So we had to reach out through our landlords to LoopNet and get LoopNet to change their designation from co-working space to something else. And finally, Google was like, oh, okay, yeah, you can have this listing online now. You had to do it on your own, though. Yeah, year, year yeah. and a half of like brutal yeah. fighting. And if you, you know, that was a, I'm, a, I'm an SEO. There's a lot of really dirty, bad SEOs out there that they get to the top simply by attacking companies like mine with something, they'll find some trick and they'll just keep attacking. And they win, I actually got a lot of hate, hate contact mail over this when I tweeted about the whole thing. People used to go to my website and send me, whoever it was was sending me messages laughing at me uh, because they thought it was funny. Uh, and it's not, obviously not very funny at all. I spent $100,000 on rent while I'm not showing up on Google Maps. Uh, yeah, it's not yeah, it's a testament to how much you have to pay attention. And you, you really, really need somebody on your side because once you find the problem, you then have to navigate the Google My Business support, which is in massive constant flux. It's always changing. And so you've got to be able to navigate that, plus understand that the people you're originally talking to, they don't actually know the answers. So they're just telling you something out of a script, just normal customer service stuff. And eventually, you know, months in, you'll finally get out of it. And you, you, you need to make sure that you're, you're keeping up with that. Yeah. So what are three tips, two to three tips that you would say are the most important for Google My Business to optimize? Okay. Do? Uh, let me give you three things that I don't think anybody does. How's that? Okay. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people don't do. So number one, and this, is, uh, this came from a study. I own a, a small SEO brand called Gain Local. We're a month-to-month -month subscription service where you can hire us to do call tracking and reviews management and your Google My Business management, and um, at a, at a you know, low rate, no no contract, no obligation for small businesses. We wanted to get, thank you, Kelsey. I won't listen to the hate. <laughs> um, we wanted to get rid of we wanted to get rid of all of that for really small companies that have an incredibly limited tight budget. So we wanted to give them that opportunity to control their budget better. Well, uh, a lot of people out there started saying, um, you know, you know, Joy Hawkins and uh, uh, Darren Shaw and, and a bunch of other local SEOs, uh, Greg Gifford, uh, started saying that maybe citations don't matter. So it used to be the number one way to rank in local was you just get your business listing information, what we call the NAP, your name, address, phone number, listed all over the web and you would rank higher. They started saying maybe that doesn't matter as much anymore because Google My Business is getting more stable. And Google seems to be putting more and more trust into it. And so you should only get citations. The, the, the theory went from places where people are actually trying to find you as a business. So we set out to figure out what the probability was from websites to listed businesses. And one of the top ones that really caught my attention was LinkedIn. 
And I, <laughs> for a long time, had never even put my own address on LinkedIn for my own business. So I went and put our address on LinkedIn for our business. And on uh, your LinkedIn page. Yeah. So you create okay. your page. Yeah. It, they keep, uh, when you set up your page, it doesn't ask you for an address, which is weird because later on, if you go back to your LinkedIn page, it'll say, hey, you haven't finished optimizing, get, give us your address. You have to go under about, add a location, and then add the address. Okay. But we found that that is really powerful. I added it for my agency and we jumped eight spots in Google My Business Rankings. Now that could have been normal flux. I'm, I'm not telling you that that's a, a hardcore study. We haven't done a perfect study on it yet. We were coming out of a suspension at the time. So that, that eight point jump could have been because of the suspension um, you know, being removed. It could have also, that eight point jump could have been because of the LinkedIn citation. So we started telling all of our clients right away, if you haven't done it yet, the first thing we did when we saw is we blasted all our clients and said, hey, if you don't have your address, here's how to add your address to LinkedIn, get that added because A, people are using it. People are going to view your page. I don't personally do that on LinkedIn, so I didn't think anybody else did. But yeah. we, we started doing that. We already have like four or five followers, barely post anything on LinkedIn. If people are now following the page and we've had a couple phone calls from LinkedIn already. So it's, it, it works a little bit. Uh, the number two thing that I think a lot of people aren't doing is um, embedding your map on your contact page. And this tip actually came to me from an angry Google My Business support person, uh, Google Maps support person. I got a phone call from Google Maps during this like back and forth suspension, unsuspension thing for a year and a half. And I was driving to my office, so I take it on my car phone uh, in, in a He's, he says, hey, I'm calling from Google Maps. I said, I know, I see the phone number. I got it saved in my phone. And he says, okay, well, I have one question for you and you just answer this question and we'll be done. And I said, okay. And he said, it's, you keep um, you know, applying for a ring statement and telling us that you're a real business. And I said, we are a real business. We're physically located here. And he said, well, I seen your contact page. You just have the address. And I go, yeah, that's uh, all I need is the address for people to put it into their Uber, Lyft, whatever, and, and come here. And he goes, why don't you have a map embedded? And I was like, well, because you guys keep suspending the listing. Why would I embed a map that you keep suspending? And he goes, embed the map. And he hangs up on me. And I was, it was the weirdest interaction I've ever had with Google Maps uh, and Google Web Business Support Team. So I went and embedded the map. And sure enough, that was one of the, I think that's one of the things that led Google to say, hey, we should maybe not suspend this business anymore. So it isn't. It isn't that I think it's going to help you rank. It's that if somebody reports your business is fake and you've embedded the map of your location on your contact page, they actually have humans go through and review it. And if they see that, they're going to say, hey, this, this location is probably real. They're really encouraging people to come visit them. So that, that map could save you a lot of, of, of headache in, you know, in the future. So that's probably that's a great tip. Thank you. Um, Trying to think of which one's my third tip. I already told you to do the UTM tracking. Uh, I'm trying to think of something else that people don't really do. What about um, posting? What's that? Posting. I I am I'm a little uh, I'm a little not as a, a fan of the post as a lot of my colleagues are. They last for seven days, uh, although right now I think they're lasting for 14 days. I do like offers through posts. If you make an offer through a Google My Business post, it lasts, it stays live until the, the offer expires. So if you made an offer today for like a free PR consultation and somebody looked for your PR agency name on Google, that free PR consultation would show up clear until it expires uh, when people search for that. Now, if you made a post about, you know, a blog thing about COVID-19, and that shows up you know, in front of it. So in the carousel, it would be your blog post, then your offer. Well, when COVID-19 ends, hopefully, you know, knock on wood here in a couple of weeks, that post may not be relevant anymore. But that offer is still relevant. And so I, I, I don't like using our post as, blog, uh, as a, you know, a social media posting thing. It doesn't drive a lot of traffic for us or any of our clients. Never seen it drive high volumes of traffic, even high quality traffic. Just haven't seen it. But offers, offers work really, really good, especially if you're in like um, a gym or a fitness sort of thing. We found putting an offer up there, even though it's something you already have on your website, repeating that offer 
and just rotating it out every 60 days or so, uh, using your post for that tends to work really well in driving traffic to the offer page and then driving those conversions. But I don't, I mean, I don't like blog posts. Yeah. It's basically free real estate on page one of Google, whether you use a right. post or an offer, if the visual is just something that why not do it just to have that visual come up in page one of Google search for your brand, right? For, for your brand, yeah. So if you if you have really cool visuals and you're trying to, to figure out a way to, to get people to pay attention to you when they type your brand, uh, that could help. I, we, we started out with blog posts. And there's still, a, you know, we haven't tested it yet. There's a theory that uh, every post you make uh, to a blog helps your, your uh, profile rank higher for certain keywords. So let's say that you're uh, a yoga teacher out there, uh, you know, and, and when this is all over, you're trying to get people into your yoga studio. Well, if you post a blog every week about, you know, a new, a new yoga pose, uh, then when people type in that specific yoga pose or they type in yoga studio, into Google Maps, you're more likely to rank higher. That's the theory. There's really no, you know, proven science around it. I think it's just a lot of theories. There's no, no statements from Google or anything. Uh, you can get the same thing from the offer, though, right? So if you do yeah. vinyasa yoga, yoga, pardon me, vinyasa yoga, you can say, you know, free vinyasa yoga trial, and you can still do those keywords. Uh, for me, the, the offers and um, in many cases the events tend to have either the best likelihood of bringing you new customers if you don't have an offer or you're still working on an offer or you've got a really killer blog post that answers a question you think your audience is asking right now so if you're a pr agency COVID 19 how do i respond to COVID 19 that would have been a really timely blog post to make but like on my website we don't talk about stuff that's timely laughing because it's probably a terrible idea but I try to type, uh, I, I try to write how-to articles about stuff that I think people really need to know how to do. And we try to make them really in-depth. Uh, so my most popular article right now is how to you know, get access to a Facebook account when the 2FA fails. And the 2FA fails all the time. And Facebook's constantly changing how to you know, reactivate your account. But that's not, that's not timely information for my target audience, which is people who want to hire an SEO or, or a social media agency. You know, so. I, it's just not a good, for me, it's just not a good post. So I, I think if it's timely and you're using it as a blog post, it's a good idea. But, um, you know, if you're a, you know, we have a remodeling client that signed with us last fall. And in December, we wrote a thing about, you know, pools, you know, the best pools <laughs> designs and blah, blah, blah. We're really great blog posts and it now ranks really well for a bunch of the keywords we wanted to go for because they build pools uh, for people when they do, they do remodeling. But we had to build that in December because we wanted it to rank in you know, June and July when people are going to want to use their pools or are thinking about building their pools. Uh, right now, I would think a lot of people are probably wanting to build even more pools. So we had to write it back then. We couldn't post it right to Google My Business because it's December. It's freezing outside. Nobody's thinking about a pool. It's not timely. So yeah, if you waited until right when that would, would fit, then, then I think you know, a blog post would probably be better. We still don't see a ton of value there, but uh, we still see more value from the offers, you know, a free estimate or more value from an event. But we, we see a little bit more value when you can line it up and you can time it just perfect. Okay, great. Those are great tips. So we're going to wrap it up. Um, why don't you go ahead and share your website and um, if you have any offers or anything that you want to, or anything that you want to talk about coming up, an event or some sort of a guide that you have. Online, online, online. Everything's going online. Uh, I'm, I'm planning. So uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a SEO meetup group I took over <laughs> really bad timing a few months ago. Uh, we're we're going to be doing some stuff here over Zoom probably uh, in the near future, uh, but just yeah, nothing nothing you know in the foreseeable future right now. Just kind of waiting through all this stuff. But we do do free SEO reviews uh, on the website joeyoungblood.com. If you go there on mobile, you won't see a prominent button. It's a an issue I'm trying to fix, but it's in the menu. Scroll down, click on it. Uh, we'll basically just try to find one thing we think you can fix on your website. Uh, sometimes we find really critical errors. Uh, one website came to us and they specifically requested that we do a link, uh, a link analysis for them. And I actually ended up finding their website was hacked. So we told them you've got to fix the hack. Links don't matter if your website's hacked. Uh, so yeah, yeah. 
I highly recommend you take advantage of that. Um, that, that is the offer we've got going. If you, if you know a really small business that's struggling, by the way, right now we're offering free web, uh, WordPress website hosting and free uh, WordPress management. So we'll keep everything up to date during the crisis. If anybody is out there, uh, you know, desperately trying to cut costs, I know that that's not a very expensive thing. Uh, but if you're you're desperate enough, it could help. I've got a huge network of servers that I'm, I'm you know brought online, and we have emergency funding to keep running. So. If you're out there and you need that, let me let me know and, and it's it's yours. So. Thank you, Joe. That's so nice. So JoeYoungblood.com. I was at your site earlier this week and um, right before the call, and it's a very informative. So if Thank anything, you. just yeah, it's I love the way you set up the, the resources and the articles and your about Google and Facebook and everything, keeping them on the page, <laughs> keeping them on yeah, the site. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's an education on the web uh, education section on the website. It's not perfect yet, but it's getting better. And I've got some really cool plans for it. It just we sort of hit a, a roadblock, <laughs> obviously, like everyone else. So, but that's always growing. We're constantly adding more information and more resources. Every page should have a comment section. If you see something out of date, just comment. I get the comments and I go in and update it. Um, that 2FA article is a great example. Uh, Facebook is not very helpful on it, but the people in the comments are really helpful. And then I take that information and I update the article. So. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much. Whoa, there's interference. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been great um, with you sharing all of your secrets. And you can also, I'll let you know when this is going to be live on the podcast, but stay healthy, stay safe. And I hope I see you in person sooner than later. Uh, same here. Yeah. Stay, stay healthy, stay away from other people, keep your mouth and your nose covered and and I'll see you soon. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.